0: me, talks about the missionary heart of God. It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described it in this way. The man who does these things will live by them, but the, righteous that, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who shall ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, as your mouth you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The only verse of that scripture I'm not sure about is the feet of the, those that bring the good news. I looked at my feet today, and there's nothing beautiful about my, about my feet. God has been so very good to us. 45 years ago, last month. In July of 1977, Sarah and I and our daughters arrived in the Republic of Zambia in Central Africa. Um, We were in Africa not because we decided to go on an adventure, but let me tell you what an adventure it was. We were not there because we were experiencing Africa, experiencing Africa was something on a bucket list. You you hear people say, on my bucket list, I want to do this and that. We were not there for, because of that. We were there because God, who has been calling and sending messengers of the gospel for thousands of years, called us and sent us to tell the good news. Our God is ascending God. Remember John 3, 16 and 17? He reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, we see what he did. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom to the prisoners and and recovery of sight for the blind." To release the oppressed. And Jesus described his mission like this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was going to find them. And that is what Jesus spent his time doing. Seeking and saving those who were lost. But Jesus, he passed the task on to his disciples. In Mark 6, it says he sent the twelve, two by two. And later in Luke 10, he sent out 72, two by two, to proclaim the good news. But just as he returned to heaven, just before he returned to heaven, Jesus gave the great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. You see, that command of Jesus was not just for those early disciples or just a select few, but for you and me today. Jesus said that it is this, said it this way in John 2021, 20, "As the Father has sent me, I am sending you." And we were assigned to the northern Zambia field to develop the northern Zambia district. of the Church of the Nazarene, when we arrived in 1977. Uh, With great anticipation, we threw ourselves into the work at hand while having to learn a new culture, studying a new language, and adjusting to the many, uh, uh, living life without the many conveniences that we have here at home. And speaking of languages, if you drive 50 miles you're fi- in Zambia, you're in another language group. And you get them all confused. There are five major ones, but we were constantly having to learn and, 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 and share in different languages. But because of the generosity of, we, we were doing all of these things, but because of the generosity of Nazarenes in mission giving and alabaster giving, We had a comfortable home to live in and an adequate salary to live on because you have given. However, as we were working there in in Zambia early on, it became clear that we were going to face times of spiritual warfare remember in Ephesians 6 it talks about put on the full armor of God because we're not fighting against flesh and blood but against the powers of Satan and against those evil workings in our world well we knew and that it was going to be something we would face as we first entered that country uh, the veteran missionaries gave us some tips and all about how to expect and what to expect when those things came our way um As we were sitting one evening on the front veranda of our house in Kitwe, Zambia, we heard the unusual sound of African drums beating, but it wasn't the sound like the beating of the drums of a marching band. Rather, there was that eerie sound. It was unsettling and put us on edge. It sent shivers right through us. Then, in the background, we heard all kinds of screaming and screeching and sounds that we could not identify. Soon we learned that just a very, very short distance from the front door of our house, actually about a mile, lived one of the most powerful witch doctors in all of that area of Zambia. We learned that the hovels around his house made of branches were places where he would put those that came to him for witch medicine and he'd put them in there he would cut on them and pour the witch medicine and do all of those incantations and night after night after night we would hear that and as we'd hear that we would pray that the Lord somehow would help those that were being so mistreated and they would come to know Jesus as their savior. One day, some few weeks later, I met that witch doctor face to face. Well, he didn't fit my preconceived notion of what a witch doctor was supposed to look like. I was looking for beads and cuts on his head and feathers and things dangling from his ears and a a cow's tail in his hand. Rather, there stood in front of me a man I estimate it was about six feet, five inches tall, probably 300 pounds, in an expensive three-piece business suit beside his late model Mercedes-Benz car. But then I looked in his eyes. They were dark, they were empty, evil-looking eyes, almost like he had no soul, it was clear I was standing in the very presence of evil. Night after night we would pray as we'd hear that commotion from his compound. We'd pray for those subjected to his control and that somehow the light of the gospel would break break through that darkness. But in the summer of 1979, spiritual warfare was about to become personal. We were planning a, a a pastors and lay leaders conference up in the in the town of Chilalobomwe in the north of Zambia. There, pa- Pastor uh, George Kapatula, our good friend, who's now with Jesus, he was the pastor of that church, and so we were having this conference uh, planned, and we were going to gather the people from the north district in Zambia, and we we're going to have a conference. There would be teaching. I would be teaching doctrine and theology and. And we talk about record keeping and church growth and how to do Sunday school, uh, how to, how to do the practical, uh, have practical classes on church life. And we also had times of praise and worship and preaching. It was a great, great time of God's special blessing. During those days, it was a time during the Rhodesian uh, Revolution where they were tra- seeking their the Southern Rhodesia was seeking independence from the white government that had ruled them for, for many many years. It was not safe for us to be out at night during those days because with a face this color. Driving around at night, they may have thought we were trying to to to, to show sides of, of what we were doing. So we learned early on, we stay home at night during all that time. And it was a very difficult time. But uh, we, we we would only travel during the day. So that night, I on this Friday night, I asked Reverend Capitula, I said, I have to go home, you know. And he was well aware of the circumstances. I said, Brother Capitula, I want you to lead the service tonight he was the leading pastor uh, he was the pastor of that church and the leading pastor on the, the district eventually became the district superintendent i said i want you to lead the service tonight and i'll be back in the morning and i drove home got home before nightfall and uh, and, and enjoyed the time with home with, with sarah and the girls i got up the next morning early and drove back to chula When I drove onto the campus or the the property there where where the church was, I heard something I had never heard before. I have to understand when in in Africa, the African people get excited. They don't worship quietly, they worship loudly. When they pray, they they shout at the Lord. I mean, you can have a church full and they're all, their voices are are, outside voices. They're really praying loud. I mean, they mean business. But when I drove onto the grounds that morning, it was not that. It was something else. I heard shouts, and I heard singing, and I heard hallelujahs, and I heard amen, and there was something over the property that was not there when I left the night before. And so I stood at the back door, and he saw me from the, from the platform, and, and I motioned to him for him to come. And he came out while they were still singing. I mean, once they get going, they will go for a long time. And I said to him, I said, I said, bakapunga that means Pastor. Bakapo, what in the world happened here last night? Something is different. He said, Well, I'll tell you what happened. He said, When you left, you gave me the charge that I was supposed to preach. So he did what any good, called, ordained Nazarene pastor ought to do. He went home, got on his knees, and said, Lord, what should I preach? Uh, You know, we are to be giving you what God wants you to hear, you know. And he said, the Lord told me to get up and preach that they needed to be sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I preached that message, and he said, when I finished preaching the message, I gave an invitation, and when I gave that invitation, he said, the entire Congregation, save one, responded to the altar and prayed until the Holy Spirit fell on that place. It was a Zambian Pentecost. Now the devil doesn't mind, well he does, but he doesn't mind so much if we're just saying, come on, just accept Jesus. But when we start saying, let's get serious, we're going to be 100% filled with his spirit and doing what he wants us to do, the lines of battle were drawn. Before long he was right after us, but well, it didn't take long. Well, you know that one lone individual in the church that didn't obey and seek to be filled with the spirit? His name was Ramoto that simply means the father of Moto. in in, in, in Africa you're, you, you, you know you're known by the first name of your you're first born so you say I'm Ramoto so they know who you are uh, but uh, uh, Ramoto he went back to his village of Chimfungi. And when he d- pulled into the when he got off the bus a truck was coming from the north from what used to be called the Belgian Congo now it's the Democratic Republic of the Congo and that truck came in and he looked up and his son was riding on top of that load and not quick, his son fell down beside the truck. When they went to him, he was dead. But it was suspicious. The elders of the village said, what's going on here? They began to investigate until the truth came out the death of this young man was directly connected to witchcraft. For you see, it was determined that Ramoto, the man who refused to obey and be filled with God's spirit, had been practicing witchcraft, was literally trying to have the pastor of that church killed so he could become the pastor. Do you know what? God still was on the throne. That church still survived. But what surprised me, I didn't know that took place because that was on the Sunday morning right after our conference. That same Sunday morning, many miles to the the other direction, I was in the Chingola Church of the Nazarene and there I was called to preach. And as I stood to preach that day, I looked the congregation over. It was not a large congregation, maybe about the size of what we have here tonight. But I saw a man way on the back row over there I'd never seen before. And I just took a note of that. I want to meet that man and see who he is and speak to him. Well, I got up to preach that day and I began to deliver the word. I tell you... I tried to preach. There was something in that place. My words seemed to fall straight in front of the pulpit. I began to sweat like everything, and I always did. It's hot in Africa, but that was something else. I was ringing wet. I preached and I preached, and finally, I just stopped at the end and said, and had the prayer. I thought, I don't know what's happened. Sarah was not with me that day and our daughters uh, one or two of them was sick and so I went alone we usually would go into the pastor's home uh, and if his wife was, uh, was, had prepared we would eat a, a meal together and what a joy it was by the way thank you for alabaster offerings so pastors have homes to live in thank you it still makes a difference well I went into the pastor's home, and there were three chairs there. Pastor Paul Katongo, good friend, he had these chairs. There were two of them here and one of them in front. And he said to, to me, I want you to sit here with me. And then the man that I saw in the back row came and sat in that chair. And he looked at me, and he said, um, uh, I want to." introduce you to my uncle and almost in a whisper he said and he's a witch doctor then I understood I sat there and I visited I don't care if it's a witch doctor or the general superintendent of the church of the Nazarene you treat everybody with with kindness and you treat them with dignity they're still God's creation you know But I said to the witch doctor, I said, Sir, what brings you to church today? Because witch doctors just don't make it a habit of going to church. And he looked at me straight in the eye. And he said, I've come today to set my nephew straight. And you, for that matter. And he picked up the little cow's tail on his lap and stuck it right in my face. So we visited for a little more. I grabbed his hand at the end. I said, I want to pray. And I prayed and shook his hand and headed down the road. I thought, what a day. About 20 20 minutes down the road, all of a sudden, something came over me and I felt deathly sick. I was nauseated. I didn't know how I was even going to make it home. I got home until Sarah said, lunch is ready. I said, I can't eat anything. All day Sunday, I was sick. I had something was going on. I couldn't hardly sleep at night. It was difficult to pray. It went all day Sunday, all the rest of the day Monday, all day Tuesday, and I got up Wednesday morning and it was still there until 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock that morning, all of a sudden, as quick as it came, It was gone. I turned to Sarah. I said, I'll be back. I need to go to Pastor Katongo and find out if he's seen his uncle lately. So I got in my truck, and it was a a, a diesel vehicle. Thank you for mission giving. So we have a vehicle to to, to drive. We raise it and everything, but thank you. You you help us. I got in that truck, and I went, and the Chingola church was up on a kind of a not a mountain but a high hill and so you could hear that thing chugging up the hill. He came around the corner and he's just grinning ear to ear. You know, he was, oh, happy to see you. Now, usually in Africa, you don't you don't get into your subject matter right away. You have to ask how they are, how their wife is, how their children are, how the sheep and the goats are, if your field is, is producing and, and if you, there's water in your You have to go through all of those things but that day, I said, Pastor Katongo, have you seen your uncle recently? He said, well, matter of fact, I have. So when did you see him? He said, Maruti, sir, or Bakipyunga. he said it was um, 10 o'clock this morning. What did your uncle want at 10 o'clock this morning? He said, he came to my house. And all of the trappings of witchcraft had been left at home. The beads were gone and all of that stuff was gone. He had destroyed those things and he came, Uncle, can you tell me how I can come to know your Jesus? You see, the devil was upset because we were preaching the gospel. And people were getting saved. People were getting sanctified. I'm so glad that the churches in Northern Zambia continued to flourish. But Sarah's gonna come in a moment, but I want to tell you one more thing. Remember in Ephesians 6 that I mentioned, it talks about putting on the armor of God. The last thing it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Do you know that your prayers make a difference? If you don't know, you're soon to find out. They really do. It was morning, Sunday morning, and we were going to go up to the uh, Chimfunchi village that we mentioned a little while ago. And we had a, a car at the time and Sarah and myself and our three girls, we were going to go to the church I was supposed to preach that morning. I got in there and, and turned the key, and it would not start. Now, I, I know I've driven a lot of cars in my life, and I know you cannot possibly push an automatic transmission and get it started just by pushing it like you can a, 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 a standard. So I had, I got in the driver's seat and I had Sarah and the three girls, they helped me push. I, I pushed a little bit and jumped in. We went around and round and round. Finally, I said, It's no good. We just can't go today. So I'd pushed the car. We pushed the car. I beg your pardon. We pushed the car into the gate and closed it. We went inside. I was discouraged. The devil was laughing. I said, it's Sunday, we have to have church anyway, you know. So we had church in our living room. And I don't know, was it one or all of the girls knelt and accepted Jesus that morning in our living room. It probably wouldn't have happened in the village church like that. But then the next morning on Monday, I heard this racket at our gate. Coco, Coco, Coco. Okay, Capitula, and I understood. He was saying, that was like saying knock, 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 knock. He said, it's Capitula, and I opened the gate and let Pastor Capitula in. And he dispensed with all the, all the greetings. He just said to me, he said, I'm so glad you didn't come to church yesterday. <laughs> well, now, <laughs> really. He said, oh, do you know that road where you turn off to come to the village? Yeah. He said there was a band of thugs hiding in the bushes looking to steal cars. And if they had any women, they were going to rape the women and kill them. I'm glad you didn't come. We had rejoicing time around the house later because God had protected us. But two weeks later, I don't know if any of you have ever sent those little blue... Uh, thin blue areogram things, airmail, almost like tissue paper. We got one of those from a, from, a, from a lady that lived in New Hampshire from where Sarah is from. And the lady had written this letter and she said, I have a question I want to ask you. And she explained the date and the time. It was on Saturday night. And she said, what happened? I, I was home washing my dishes hmm? and she wanted to know if we were okay she said i was washing my dishes and the lord said pray for ron and sarah she said i will lord i have to get these dishes done and so she kept washing. pray for ron and sarah I, I, I'm, I'm about to pray for ron and sarah she said i dropped the dishes got on my knees and i began to pray she said, I prayed and prayed and prayed until the Lord lifted the burden. She said, what happened on that day? Well, you see, that time on in New Hampshire at night was already Sunday morning in Zambia. It was the Sunday morning. We were trying to get the car started. I think the Lord has one of those kill switches. He switched the car off because it wasn't he didn't want us to get in danger, and she prayed and prayed. I, in fact, I wish now that I'd put the car away sooner, because she wouldn't have had to pray quite as long, you know. But, but, but by the way, I got up Monday morning and the car started. Does God answer prayer? Oh. Yes, he answers prayer. What we experienced in, in, in Zambia and, and, and the other countries we served is what we read in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day. For the darkness is as light to you. And so when people like you pray, when you're prompted to pray, do it. Do it quickly. Do it when he calls. Seven seven years ago, Sarah and I had the privilege of returning to Africa for a two-year special mission in Swaziland. And Sarah has just a brief story she wants to tell you. See, we retired
1: and and just got moved here. And then we, he was still doing some services uh, as an interim uh, because we were retired and able to be here with our girls finally. And, uh, and the pastor of Bethany First Church uh, had a request that he was needing uh, somebody to go because, Bethany First Church kind of partners with Swaziland and so needed somebody to go over there and this is our first time first Sunday in Bethany First Church beautiful service and all that and then he says that I didn't dare look at Ron and he didn't look at me and we thought, you know, enough people know us there that they would, they would interpret that look. So I got, we got out to the car to go home, and he, he paused. He said, did you feel that? I said, yeah, did you feel it? Yeah, okay, oh, wow, you know, I think the Lord wants us to go to Swaziland. So we go to the house, and since it's our first Sunday to really be here, then we were having the kids over and having a big dinner and, you know, Sunday dinners. And, and so the girls finally come. They were, they were a little bit later, and, and um, the first one walks through the door, and she says, well, she said, are your suitcases packed? <laughs> And then she hasn't talked with her sister at all. The other one comes in and she says, oh, when are you going? (laughs) They knew our hearts. And we knew that the Lord was speaking for us to go to Swaziland and serve there for a couple of years. So we went over and so many needs, Uh, but times had changed in in the number of years that we hadn't been there. And uh, some of the people in Swaziland still remembered us because with conferences, we would go over to Swaziland or something when there was a big conference, and they remembered us from that. So uh, we got involved in the work very quickly. There were two ladies, a nurse and a helper, that would go out, and of course, you know, back then, it wasn't that many years ago, um, AIDS, HIV, AIDS, and it, had, it struck uh, Swaziland severely, severely. You all, we, we were overcome when we saw some of the things and some of the villages that we went to, uh, there were <clears throat> mounds of rocks for the graves, mounds of rocks. And, and so I, I asked, you know, something about that and, well, that is the grave, you know, and well, that's a, a family, a whole family that passed, and so, but these two ladies go out and minister to AIDS patients uh, because it's still going on, and uh, they take medicine and things like this and pray for them and have a time of visiting and everything, and so they wanted me to go with them, and I did, I think he came along too. He, he's my protector. Huh? <laughs> and uh, this this one village we went to, uh, they would make kind of a hut. The the hut might be about this tall, and and you know long enough for a a bed out of straw for the the AIDS patient to live, lie lie on, Uh, you know, and as we learned, as we were there, they didn't want any AIDS patient in their home, in their houses, or to be with their children, or you can understand that. And so they went to this one place, and there was this hut, and uh, you know, and I was hesitant, you know, take their lead, and they said, no, Mamaruti, just mother pastor, um, Mamaruti, no, come come in here. And so uh, there was the lady laying on the the straw and uh, not well at all. And so they, uh, the nurse uh, then talked with the lady, and they didn't interpret all of that for me but then the other lady stood beside me and just picked out portions of what she was saying to give me an idea of what was being said and um, and in the mix of all that uh, uh, the nurse was asking if she knows Jesus and and um, she said no you know didn't care about Jesus you know so uh, then after their visiting and everything, you know, I thought I was just there to observe. And they said, "No, no Mamaruti, you, you 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 need to pray for her." I was a little bit overwhelmed. How do you pray when you feel like this person is is? lying here on their deathbed actually and how do I pray and how do I cross languages yes. you know and so I thought Lord I, I need help yes. with this I don't know exactly what to say I need you to give me the words to say and how to handle this and so then I just did what seemed to be that he wanted me to do. And she's laying there on the bed. And so I came over here very closely to her. And I felt like, okay, Lord, I, I need your protection. I need your protection. And the lady, of course, was looking at this uh, umusungu. That's why I was an Umusungu. That's a good word to to learn. I was the white person, the Umusungu, and and uh, so. But she was listening to me, and so I got down by the bed. If I just raise my voice, you'll you'll hear me back there, okay? And I've never done this in my life, but I said. I need your hands and so she gave me her hands well I ended up taking her hand you know it's uh, by the wrist by the wrist you know what you feel with the wrist I didn't think about that at the time I I, you know it just was what what I was doing and so then I talked with her, just using slow, simple English. And, you know, sometimes you think God can interpret, too,
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: because she was not in her head, like she could understand. And then I started praying. And I just held her and prayed and prayed. And prayed because the Lord hadn't stopped me. And prayed for her. And prayed for her life. Prayed for her family. Prayed for the situation. Prayed for her health and her body. And prayed for her soul and her heart. Hmm. Yes. And I knew that I was coming through to her. I was getting through to her. And then I finished praying, and I was able to get up. (laughs) He didn't have to help me at that time. (laughs) I mean, I was so wired, I think. But, um, and And she actually started sitting up on the side of the bed and weeping and and the nurse just was holding her in her arms and i I said, "You know Jesus loves you, Jesus wants to help you. you know we've prayed you know." Majo, where is Jesus now? Oh, I, no one had to interpret to her. She says, right here, right here, right Ah, you know, that was just a joyous occasion yes. for us. And, and I left, you know, after we visited some more, and, and we left and went our way. And it was about two weeks later that we were making some rounds, and we thought we needed to stop there because we needed to see how my new friend was. And uh, we got there, and, and I said, Well, where's my bana? Where's my And they said, They were they were laughing at me, and they said, Mama Ruthie, she's right there. <laughs> she's standing right there. She was out of the hut. She was standing. She was grinning from ear to ear because God touched her. And we praise the Lord for his touch on each one.
0: And if you would have seen the lady outside, she... That one of the caretakers, she ran out of the house and she stood there with her hands raised, praising the Lord. Remember what the words of Jesus were. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I'm saying we serve a Jesus that is wonderful. And because folks just like you, praying and giving and do all you're doing, people are still getting saved day after day after day. Thank you for allowing us to come and share with you for a while.